Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Jesus. Good morning, Journey family. How are y'all doing this morning? Can you guys give it up for the band, if you don't mind, please, man? That, that was absolutely phenomenal. That was phenomenal. Uh, my name is Patrick Gallimo. For those that don't know me, I'm the student pastor here, um, and I have the pleasure every single Wednesday night of hanging out with some amazing students and leaders. Um, for the past few weeks, man, we have been in our Advent series. And two weeks ago, we lit the prophecy candle to remember those who first spoke of the promise of the coming Christ child, and we talked about hope. So I'm lighting the prophecy candle. Last week, we lit the Bethlehem candle, representing faith, a symbol of the preparation being made to receive and cradle the Christ child. So we lit the Bethlehem candle. The third candle of the Advent wreath is a shepherd's candle. It is the pink candle, so I light the shepherd's candle. It remembers the first line of a long line of people who joyfully shared the good news of the Savior's birth. The candle is a different color because it reminds us that the period of waiting is half over. We light the third candle of Advent, the candle of joy, to remind us of the joy we feel when we celebrate Jesus' birth and remind us to share this joyful news with others. And there is more good news. The good news is that Jesus is coming back again. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says this. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of the sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The shepherds were waiting for morning. They were waiting for the sky to turn pink and the sun to come up because that meant another night was over and the sheep were safe. When the sun came up, there would be other shepherds to help watch over the flock by day. Night was more dangerous for the sheep. It was easier for them to wander off and there were more predators around. So the shepherds were waiting for morning. And instead of mourning, they saw something totally unexpected. They saw a sky full of angels singing praises to God and the Savior who was just born. Their normal night turned, in, turned into something extraordinary, a night they would never forget. They were busy waiting for the night to be over, but something better than morning was coming. How often, many times, do our night just last forever? Maybe you're struggling through these holidays because you've lost a loved one or you lost a job or sickness has hit your home. No matter the situation, the period of waiting can be very, very exhausting. It can be exhausting mentally, spiritually, physically, and socially. The joy that we can hold on to comes from Jesus Christ. The joy is an inner gladness. It is something that the world can't give and the world cannot take it away. So as we continue to learn about Advent, let's remember that joy comes from Jesus. 
Remember that God can break into our crazy lives, and he does this so that we have joy in him and nothing else. When we have joy that comes from God, we're excited, we're comfortable, we're delightful, and more than anything, we are blessed. So let's have joy this season because we have the greatest gift ever given to mankind, and that gift is Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy that entered the world when Jesus was born. Thank you for becoming God with us. Lord, sometimes it is difficult to live joyfully, especially in difficult or busy seasons. Please purify our hearts this week and remind us that you're in control. Help us to consider it joy when we experience trials of any kind, because we know that you are creating something beautiful and eternal. As we fix our eyes and our hearts on you, fill our souls with renewed strength, courage, and hope. Lord, you are always worthy of being praised, and we want to worship you. Amen. Thanks, Pat. I'm a word person. I said this last week. In the last three weeks, we looked at three words. We looked at hope, and without hope, we literally can't do anything. And then we looked at faith. We looked at the concept that without faith, we can't please God. But with a purpose, we understand that we have something, a, a task to do on this side of eternity. And today the word is joy. And it's interesting to me how fast we can lose joy. And maybe it's because we have a wrong definition of what joy really is. And I don't know if you guys got this, but in Luke chapter 2, it really shares with the, the, the truth of why we can be joyful. As a matter of fact, it doesn't just say we have joy. It says we have this thing called great joy, whatever that looks like. And so today, for the next several moments, I want to talk about joy, and I want to specifically define what joy is and what joy isn't. And if joy is not in our lives, how we can get joy in our lives? Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it starts with this. Let's read that again. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Not just minor joy, but great joy. We have this exceedingly joy, exceedingly above all we can ask or imagine joy that will be for all people. And then verse 11 describes why. It says, for unto you born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. Depending on what you look at, what version of the Bible you like to read personally, um, it's shown in several versions over 200 times the word joy is used. As a matter of fact, just in the book of uh, Philippians, it's 21 times. And that's where we're going to land today. In a few minutes, I'm going to land in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to talk about just the joy that Paul found and, and how he described we can have joy in the world we live in. But I think it's important before we even go to to, you know, kind of any further, we, we would define what joy is. Experiencing joy is also a lot of times defined as happiness. And I'm telling you, I've used those as synonyms before, and I don't think they're even close, closely related. I think, I think happiness is based on a circumstance, and joy is based on a fact. And I think somewhere or another, right in this moment where our lives intersect with the Holy Spirit, that's where we find joy, right there in that moment. And so many times we're looking for joy in all these wrong things and we wonder why we're not, we're not finding it. It's because that intersection hasn't been made. Webster defines joy like this. 
the emotion evoked with well-being, success or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. It's based on a thing. It's based on something that you get. I've kind of come up with my own definition. It's not, it's not perfect. It's got some flaws in it. But it goes something like this. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world and in the word. So when we see God working in the world that we live in, when we read his word, there's a joy. It's that intersection that happens, and right there is where we find joy. And some of you are freaking out right now because you said, I thought our faith was not based on a feeling. Well, faith is not a feeling. Faith is the fact that Jesus Christ did, in fact, what he said he did, and we can put our trust in that. But in that moment, there's times in our lives where we understand when we're intersecting, when the Holy Spirit is leading our lives, that it's in those moments when we're doing the things he's called us to do that we find great joy. It's interesting because yesterday I had a moment. Um, we were here, and I think the number was 140. I could be wrong. 140 families we, we took care of. There was hundreds, maybe thousands of gifts on this campus and our Sherwood campus. And if you saw the pictures, you saw just this place was packed. And one of the pictures that I posted up there, there was like four tables filled with gifts and we had people coming in. And uh, I was told that that was only about 50%. There was another whole truckload and there was all kinds of bins. And I looked at it and I got teary-eyed because it was one of those moments where I understood the intersection of, and, and why I had great joy. When we take care of people, when we're like Jesus and we're servants, there's that intersection right there. And right there's the moment of joy. And somebody told me yesterday, you shouldn't be proud of that. Like, what do you mean I shouldn't be proud of that? We should be proud that God is using us in a way in this world. And that intersection right there is a place of peace and it's a place of joy. It's a place where we find ourselves. John 10.10 10 says, I've come to give you life and give you life to the fullest. It's in those moments that I find my fullest. I find my peace. I find my joy. Amen. See, joy is a good feeling. Regardless of what you think, it's a good feeling when faith, life circumstances, and the Holy Spirit intersect. So today, what I want to do in the next just several moments, it's not going to be a very long message. As a matter of fact, I'm going to provide some opportunity for us to be joyful at the end. But one of the first things I think we all got to understand, we all got to get and we have to understand this because we're looking for joy in the wrong reasons, in the wrong way sometimes. We need to learn to find joy in every situation of our lives. Everything that's going on. Now, some of you are going, Pastor Bobby, you don't know what I'm, you know something? You're right, I don't know what you're going through. But you've heard me say this enough. You will never find joy in the death of somebody. You'll never find joy in the death of a loved one, a child, a, a mother, a father, a spouse. You'll never find joy. You'll never find joy in, in a divorce situation. Well, some of you may, but in a divorce situation. Just saying. But that doesn't mean, listen to me, that doesn't mean you can't find joy in other areas. And so many times in our lives, we allow this right here, this setback, to be something that will never leapfrog over into the joy that God wants us to have. I love the way, I love the way Paul writes this. It's one of the most powerful passages. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord only when your circumstances work out for your benefit. That's the way we live, though, isn't it? We live in a way that we're only going to be joyful if everything works, if I get the raise, if the right relationship happens, if I don't get caught doing the wrong thing at work, I'm going to be fine. But as soon as those things happen, I'm losing my rejoice. I'm losing my joy. Now what it says is rejoice in the Lord. Always, I will say, rejoice. And it says, let your reasonableness, uh, reasonableness, reasonableness, that word be known to everyone. <laughs> The Lord is at hand. Verse six, don't be anxious about anything. We're gonna look at that passage in a minute, but in everything by prayer and supplication, 
With thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Here's a popular, we, we, a lot of us can quote this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I don't know, I don't know how much you know about this passage, but it's interesting because Paul was not the most positive person as you read through Scripture. As a matter of fact, there was times he was quite negative, like, well, always me, like, I was shipwrecked, and I was this, and like, I guess he could be that way. He had those things happen, but it was one of those deals where this passage of Scripture, as a matter of fact, Philippians is known as the epistle of joy. There's more joy-filled moments in the, in the life of Paul in this passage than ever before that he writes in any other part of the Bible. And the second thing that's really important that we've got to get, and maybe you don't know this, but where this was written was not a place of joy. He was writing this from a prison cell. He was in line to be executed. Think about that for a second. So when he says rejoice always, like it's one of those, like even in the prison cell, even when things aren't going good, even when the, the job doesn't happen, even when the relationship falls apart, even, you know, you can pull whatever if you want to put it there. And he says, listen, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. So Paul wrote this from prison, a place, a really bad place. And it's interesting, uh, I, I have to, unfortunately, one of the parts of the job that, like, I don't necessarily love it, um, but it's part of it, taking care of people when people die. And so we have to do funerals quite a bit around here. And there's a story I share a lot of times, because especially if I'm doing a funeral of a believer, because though it's a sorrowful moment and, all, you know, all these emotions going on, there's also room for rejoicing. Um, we know that that person um, crossed from this side to the other side, and they're walking on streets of gold, and they, you know, all the well-done, good, and faithful servant. But I share a story, and it's a story you may have heard me share it before, but it's in reference to a tribal chief. And the tribal chief has a grandson there, and the grandson says, says you know, give me some wisdom. And the wisdom that he gives him, he goes, there's two wolves living inside of everybody. So everybody in this room, you have two wolves living inside of you. And the, son was a little, the grandson was a little confused, but he said, you know, okay, great. so what, what, which one wins? If there's a battle going on inside of me all the time, what one wins? And the grandfather said, whatever one you feed. Whatever wolf you feed it, that, that's the one that's going to win. So if you're always living in the, in the land of anger, if you're always living in the anger, the area of bitterness and resentment and, and conflict and all this stuff, you're feeding it, and that's the one that's going to win. But if you're living in joy and, and, and in peace and understanding and, and, and in comfort and all these things, that's what's going to live inside of you. And let me tell you a little truth here. Joy will not seek you out. You have to seek joy out. If you look through the world's stuff, you're never going to find it. I, I love what Pat just said. The world can't take it away also because the world's not the one that gave it to you. So in our lives, we have to feed whatever one we want. If we want joy, you feed whatever you want to grow, whatever you want to be strong, whatever you want to win the battle of supremacy in your life. It's interesting. I love the way Martin Luther King said this. And one of the most powerful quotes, he says, most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. That's true. That's true right there. You have a choice to make whether you're going to be joyful or not be joyful. And I found out this because Twitter is gospel, right? Everything that Twitter writes is, is true, right? Is that right? So they did a study, and the study they did was the most happy time of the day or the most joy-filled time of the day. And what statistics show based on Twitter, all the, the people that were doing the tweets, all the stuff they did, that the most positive ones were from uh, uh, getting up when people get up 7.30 to 8 o'clock till about 9, 9.30. Of course, they're, they're drinking coffee at that point, right? That's the happiest time of my life, too. And then what happens is it starts to decline. It's because the coffee's wearing off. And then about 11, 30, 12 o'clock, they get hangry. And so that's another area where it's like people are like, 
mean tweets come out. And then about 3.30, 4 o'clock, they start to go back up, of course, because we're leaving work at that point. And so there's all these ebbs and flows. And you know what I've realized? That people really think that time of day matters. And I'm, I'm here to tell you this. It has nothing to do with time of the day. It has the connection you have with Christ. That's, that's where you find joy. It's not about being 9 o'clock. As a matter of fact, the Bible says early in the morning or late at night, we see all throughout the scriptures that God was found and joy was found. It's because of the connection they have with Christ. True joy depends on the connection we have with him. That's the first thing. Let me give you a second thing. We need to learn to eliminate the things, I almost put people. that steal our joy. And the funny thing is, in the first service, I did a little poll. I didn't use the people part. I said things. And I said, how many people, when I said that, and then my fourth point, how many people, when I said that, the first thing you thought of was a person and just about every, so, oh, see? <laughs> and she raised two hands up. But there's some things that'll steal your joy. You know that? If you let it steal your joy, that's on you. We're going to identify a couple things, but I love the way Paul says it. It's kind of more the time. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, reasonable, I can't get that word in this service. <laughs> reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now watch this. This is really good. Don't be anxious about anything. Tell me that anxiousness isn't a joy stealer. When you're fearful and you get anxious, you're worried about all the things that are honestly out of your control 95%, 99% of the time. They are out of your control. Well, we allow that. But it says, instead of doing that, but, in, but everything in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your quest be known. So what are the things that steal your joy? I, I know there's a gazillion things. You guys probably get add to my list, but I, I'm just going to give you my little short list. Complaining and criticism will steal your joy. So how many people learn things um, in some weird ways? Anybody? You don't have to share your weird ways. I just learn them in weird ways. I, I learn them from like kids, kids shows. Anybody ever learn from? So I, I learned one of the most valuable lessons. I love Winnie the Pooh. Anybody love Winnie the Pooh? So Winnie the Pooh, I just remember Winnie the Pooh. I remember the kids, they had the little play dolls. But I learned one of the most valuable lessons from the, the, little, the little show, Winnie the Pooh. I, and there was all kind of, Winnie was a really cool kind. But there's either two, there's only two, well, there's me. There's two types of people that we're going to come in contact with. There's Eeyores and there's Tiggers. Yep. Right? See, everybody's like, yeah, that's good. It's like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty smart. Eeyores, and you know Eeyore, right? Eeyore, oh, he's me. This will never work out. How many people work with that person? I was going to say how many people live with that person. I don't want you raising your hand. I'll get you all trouble. You won't have any, you know, but always me. Like everything, like victim mentality, I never get a raise. I never shoot a deer. I never, I never do a good golf. You know, all those things, right? Like I, I, they're all around me. It's, it's crazy. And so, and then there's Tiggers. Like, and I'm not sure that being a Tigger is fantastic either because they're kind of reckless and they're just, Yes. And those people drive me nuts too. <laughs> like, you need to calm down and lay off the coffee, bro. But it's actually a spiritual principle. It's actually in the Bible. And complaining and criticism, if that's all you're doing all day long, it rubs off on you and you become what you start to say. People don't realize it. The greatest tool is not what somebody else is saying, it's what you're saying. It's what's coming out of your mouth because you're listening to it all the time. And even if it doesn't come out of your mouth like, like the words don't come in mouth, you're thinking it, so it's in here. And we, we talk, you know, you become what you say you are, or what sometimes other people. Look, 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 Philippians chapter two, complete my joy 
like you want to find joy completely by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and with one mind. Okay, listen to this. Do all things, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or, uh, or, or disputing. See, anytime you complain, bicker, grumble, gripe, criticize, or demean others, you relinquish your joy. You, you, you give up all rights to you. you. You lose everything, every opportunity. And I want to be clear about this, okay? Because I'm not talking about when we do biblical con, uh, conflict. Because there's times where you have to be critical. And there's times where you have to. And we have, we have what we call staff norms in our church. So in our, if you were to walk in the office on our big wall, we have the, our staff norms. And there's times where you have to, you have, to have a conflict. You, you do it right. You, you, know, you, you, you put water on it, not gas. You, know, you do it quickly. You do it privately. You, all, you do Matthew 18. When a brother offends you, you go to that person. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just the person that's constantly, absolutely all the time in conflict and complaining about somebody else. You know, finding out, unfortunately, let's put this on pause. I'd love to shut the tape off right now, but I can't. Man, pastors are awful. Like, I can get on anymore. Like, that's why I got off from September to now. Like, I'm basically not even on Facebook because everything is a conflict and everything is a competition. And our church is bigger than your church. And our church, you know something? I don't think that's the way we should be talking about the bride of Christ. It's not that we're in competition with each other. The Bible says there's, there's, that, that, that there's a mansion and, and God's going to prepare a place, but each room has a different function in the church. If we ever figure that we're on the same team, hey, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this publicly. There's not a church in this city that's not on our team. Somebody say amen. I love Grace Baptist. I love Warren. I love Passion, New Passion. I mean, they are on the same team. They're trying to tell people about Jesus Christ. I had nothing to do with anything we're talking about right now. <laughs> the second one is bitter, bitterness, resentment, and anger. And here's the funny thing. It's usually over something that's happened a long time ago. Can I, can I be deeply personal with you guys for a few moments? I'm going to do it either way. So like, I don't really care if you say no. <laughs> but a couple, three years ago, there was just a really traumatic moment that happened in our church. And I was spiraling out of control. Like, it was bad. And I, I thought about it all the time. Every time I got on my lawnmower to cut my grass, every time I got in my boat, every time I got in my car, I'd be sitting there. And I would just absolutely fix on this bad situation. I couldn't, I couldn't shake it for the life of me. I couldn't shake it. And everybody around me seemed to feed that. And I remember sitting there one day. It was a Sunday, and I had just come home. Of all things to speak on, I had just come home from speaking on forgiveness. And my wife said, when are you going to do it? And I said, what do you mean when am I going to do it? She goes, when are you going to forgive? And I said, forgive who? She goes, well, first of all, you got to forgive yourself. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we've all heard this, right? For, uh, unforgiveness is when we're holding somebody captive, and it's generally us that we're holding captive. But here was the deal. She, this is the exact words out of her mouth. She goes, you are allowing that, that situation and those people to live rent-free in your head, and you need to kick them out. They need to get an eviction notice. And I thought to myself, and so, like, I, I, oh, my wife was one of the smartest people I've ever been around, but I didn't feel like listening to her, to her that day. Anybody ever like that? <laughs> So I come and work the next day, and we have a, a group of people called the Big Picture Team, and it's all, it's ministry heads. So children's ministry student, you met Pat this morning. Pat's our uh, youth pastor, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Then we have operations and creative and all that kind of stuff. So we meet on Monday mornings at like 8, 39 o'clock, and we're sitting there, and we're reading this book called, um, I think it's called Fairness is Overrated by Tim Stevens. It's an amazing book. Uh, Tim Stevens was an executive pastor and then one worked for a company that was like a headhunter for church uh, church people, for people like us that are looking for, I'm not, not, not like me, like people that are looking for jobs. Whew. 
That came out all wrong right there. <laughs> I'm not looking for a job. I like the one I got. Um, we're sitting there, and there was an illustration in there, and I think it was Alan, uh, our executive pastor, just said, he said, you know what, isn't it interesting? We spend the majority of our lives always looking behind us. And he used the illustration of a, a rearview mirror and how small the rearview mirror is. It's just this little bitty thing. But it, it looks back, all this other stuff that's going on, all this bad stuff, all the hurt, the resentment, the anger, and all this stuff, it, it constantly, when we have this big old windshield in front of us that's looking at all the opportunities that God wants us to have. And that's what we need to be doing. And that's, what, that, that's, that's the problem with anger and resentment and bitterness is what we're doing is we're going through life looking through the rearview mirror instead of looking at all the opportunities that God has for us. So that's a joy killer. That'll, that'll absolutely destroy everything in us. Ephesians chapter 4 says it like this. It says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, these are all kissing cousins, by the way. These are all things that go hand in hand. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander uh, be put away from you along with malice. Let me just add another one, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, and that's really key, as God in Christ forgave you. So that's the second. Here we get the third thing. It's just real practical, Okay. Whatever your current situation is, if you let it, will steal your joy. Washington Road traffic. <laughs> you can plot. I want to hear everybody on that. I want Columbia County to hear it. I'm tired of waiting in line to try to get home. It takes me, I'm 12 miles from my house, and now it takes me 35 to 40 minutes to get from right here to, to Pollard's Corner. It's ridiculous. And I'm sitting there, or the person that cuts you off, and tells you you're number one. Like it's your fault that they cut you off. Right? Or, or how about this one? When the internet goes down in the middle of the football game. Or when Alabama beats Georgia. I almost didn't come to church last week. I'm not lying. I had to repent three times during the game. I got on one knee one time. It wasn't good enough. I did my Tebow. I couldn't do I just couldn't figure it all out. And so finally, I got here, I got here long before you guys got here, just Jesus washed me from head to toe because I am a sinner in Alabama anyway. You know what I'm talking about? Or how about this? Isn't it the little things in life sometimes that bring the biggest frustrations? So a couple of weeks ago, I was, um, came in the office Sunday, it was Sunday morning, and I get here a little bit early, um, 6.15 or so I get here, and some of the team's already here, but um, usually either myself or Jocelyn will um, make a pot of coffee because we know that coffee is amazing <laughs> and it's the nectar of the God. And so I come in here and I, I fill the pot up, 10 spot, fill it, put it in. I get the coffee, Dunkin' Donuts, amazing. I get it out, I scoop, then I remember I need a coffee filter. So I open up the cabinet and guess what's not there? I didn't realize you can say so many dirty words in one sentence. I looked high and low. I ended up having to go to the store to go get a coffee. And you know what it did? It ruined, I, could, I barely could preach good. Like, probably messed up all my scriptures. But come on now, honestly. Don't we let the littlest things sometimes mess us up for a whole day? Sometimes longer than that. It's the little things. And so we have to understand that those small things sometimes disrupt us. That's why 1 Thessalonians, a parallel to Philippians, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in what circumstances? in all circumstances. And it says this, for this is the will of God, Christ Jesus for you. Okay, so that's the second. Third thing, focus 
Okay, we're getting rid of things, so what are we going to do? We're going to fill them with things. We're going to focus on things that bring us joy. And I'm going to be just, again, deeply personal. Um, I am realizing at 56 years old that gifts do not wow me anymore. Now, if you want to get me one, it's the time to give, right? I, lo- I like them, but I learned this in the last couple of days. So my oldest daughter gets married, and she bought a house. Her and her husband buy a house. And one of the things that's tradition in our house, and my wife's tradition, I usually sit and watch because I'm not very crafty, but they, my, all the girls, um, three girls, they make gingerbread houses. And we talked about it Sunday night when we were doing our Sunday night dinner, and we were talking about, okay, we're going to get together. And all week long, it's the weirdest thing, all week long, I couldn't wait till Thursday night. I couldn't wait to watch them and hang out with my kids. And it was there what I realized. I realized like a huge epiphany. Maybe, maybe some of you haven't figured this out yet, but experiences are better than anything else somebody can give. They're better than any present. And just time spent with my girls. I, so I spent with my three girls and, and my wife and my two son-in-laws, and we just sat there and we laughed. And I sat back at one point and I just went, oh my God, this fills my soul with joy. Last night, I had the privilege of doing the wedding for my niece. And so we're in Greenwood. And I was sitting at the table with my wife, Gina, and my brother, and my sister-in-law, and my other sister-in-law, brother-in-law, and my mother-in-law. And we were having a good time. We were laughing and cutting up and all that. But behind us was the cousin's table, kind of like Thanksgiving. <laughs> and the, the cousin's table. And there's like, there's eight of them or nine of them. And they range from, I don't know, 24, uh, 21 to 27, 30 or something like that. And all I could hear was all the laughing. And several times I just turned around and went, that fills my tank up right there. And I, we were taking pictures, and I couldn't, like, when they took the pictures, they were goofing. They were giving each other wedgies. I was just like, wow. So one of the things that brings me great joy, it fills me up, is friends and family. Another one in this, and I'm going to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, my small group fills me up. When, when, I'm, when I'm struggling and having a hard time, the, the process a couple years ago, it was my small group that came to my rescue. And, and, and I can tell you, if you don't have a small group, we would love to get you involved in one. We'll help you get one. You can go to Next Steps area, directly following service in and get one. Another one for me is serving. When I'm serving, it brings me just amazing amounts of joy. And another one is this, is music. I love, I love music. And some of you are going, well, like, I don't, I don't like worship music. It's not, even, it's not even worship music that fills my soul sometimes. Sometimes it's Bon Jovi. It's my life. If you ever ride past me and you see the fingers thrown up and I got the stinky lip going on, it's Bon Jovi in there. Or, or sometimes it's worship music. Just, it fills my soul. Let me tell you another thing that fills my soul. It's time spent with the Father. It's reading his love letter to me. It's listening to every word how he's telling how much he loves me and how much he cares about me and why he died for me. It's the times I'm spending when I'm struggling. And if you've ever struggled, you know what I'm talking about. When you're having that conversation, all of a sudden the Bible says the peace that passes all understanding comes upon your life. It's those moments right there where I find I'm filled. That's why Philippians 4 verse 8 is so strong. It's not just a list of things that we got. Let's do this and do this. It says, finally, brothers, whatever's true. Well, God's true, isn't he? Whatever is honorable, God's honorable. 
Whatever is just, well, they don't come any more just than God. Whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And all those things right there are the characteristics and the personalities of God. And when we spend time with God, he brings us joy. Let me give you the last thing. Be somebody that brings joy. Be, be, be somebody that brings joy. And a minute ago I said, how many people thought of a person when I said about eliminating joy? Or, you know, people that steal your joy. And just show of hands, how many people thought of a person right away? A large portion of our church said, okay, a person. Well, you know what I got to say about that? If there was personality and character traits that you didn't like, don't be that person then. Don't be them. Be the opposite of them. If they were angry and bitter and always complaining and always comparing and all that, be the exact opposites. I, I wrote in my journal 15 or 16 years ago. I still keep a journal. I've kept a journal for 30 years now. But I wrote in my journal something. And, and it was this, that I am going to, I am going to bring, I'm going to make somebody's day every day. That I'm going to do something that, that people see some, somehow or another, I'm going to bring joy to somebody every day. And, and, and for some of us, it, 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 you know, it's, it's funny because you got to figure out what, what it brings joy. Like, it, I love hugging people. Like, if you walk into this place, Kim, I, like some people give me a hug, like, no, I want a hug. Everybody I know, except for Alan Runner. Loves a hug. When you try to hug him, he goes like. So I said this in first service, and everybody tried to hug him between services, and he was like, what's going on here? So go up and hug. You, you never know. Can, can, I, can I say something, and can I be as honest as I've ever been? You never know what somebody's going through. They could have been in the middle of a divorce, a huge argument. They could have lost a loved one. They could be. Smile on the outside, but everything on the inside is just messed up. And that's why it's important that we, we become those people that fill people with joy. This past week, and I don't tell you this story. It's not a pat on the back. It's none of that kind of stuff. But this past week, I was at a restaurant, and I just felt prompted. Um, and this is a way that I, I show joy, and I, I want to bring joy. I was talking to the girl that was the, our server, and she was telling me about being a single mother and her husband you know, did whatever he did, and, you know, she's raising these kids on her own. And I could tell it was tough. And I wrote, I wrote a little extra in the tip, a lot extra in the tip. And I just, well, she, she ran outside, chased me. She still had my silverware in her hand. Thought she was coming to kill me. <laughs> but she, she comes running out. She was cleaning up the table. And she had and she goes, I think you made a mistake. And I said, what are you talking about? And she goes, I think you made a mistake. I said, I think and she said, did somebody tell you what was going on? No, what was going on? She said, that's the exact amount for a bill that I have to have paid, otherwise I'm going to be evicted in my house. I said, let me tell you why I did it. Because I made a vow 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that every day I'm going to find a way to fill somebody up with joy, and you were it today. I invited her to come to church, and maybe one day, and she's going to walk up to me maybe one day and give me a hug, and I'm going to go, oh, my gosh. Every day. See, there's actually, there's actually a spiritual principle here. And spiritual principle is you want to refresh others, or you want to be refreshed, you have to refresh others. That's what Proverbs said. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and he who waters himself will be watered. 
That means if you don't have joy, maybe by bringing joy to somebody else or being a joy filler, maybe some of those crevices that are in your life, the areas of your life that you need somebody to pour a pitcher of joy into, maybe that'll happen as you start giving it out. I'll go back to yesterday. I sat out there, man, killed me. And I realized a statement that we make around this place all the time was so true. You've never looked in the eyes of somebody that Jesus didn't die for and doesn't love. And if they are loved by Jesus, they should be loved by us. Amen. If they matter enough for the, the holy God of the universe to send his son to a cross, they should matter enough to us. So yesterday was a big, I was trying to refresh, but you know something? I walked away. I walked away filled up. Need some joy? Don't look at what the world has to offer. You find yourself in the intersection where your life, your circumstances come together. And it's in that moment right there where you're operating the Holy Spirit, allowing him to do what he wants to do in you, that you'll find real joy. Can we pray together real quick? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And we celebrate the birth a lot this time of year because that's what's happened. But it, was the, it was the death, the burial, and the resurrection that made the world a difference. It's because of those things that I can have joy, that I find peace, that I find my place, that I find my significance. And God, I pray that every person this Advent season would, would figure that out, where real joy comes from. And God, maybe there's some folks in this room today that never have crossed that spiritual line and maybe they have no joy. And I can say this only as my own experience, nothing else but my own experience, that it wasn't until I found Jesus Christ and put him as number one in my life over everything that I find real joy and significance. So I would encourage you today, if that's you, talk to somebody. Go to the next steps, talk to one of the pastors. God, let us today understand and have real joy. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.